0: To learn more, visit odo.com slash snap. That's O-D-O-O dot com slash snap. We know intuitively that words are power. Words are magic. Words are healing. People always tell me that, you know, and the tense and the tragic and the impactful situations that they don't know which words to say. I've never had that problem. I always know exactly what to say. About 30 seconds after I've already said the stupid thing that actually came out of my mouth, it's uncanny. Like a reverse superpower. I can plan ahead, I can practice, but somehow, some way, I'm still gonna say something wrong. Well, today in Snap Judgment, we proudly present tongue tied, amazing stories from people who don't know what to say. My name is Ben Washington. Please understand, I didn't mean what I said, I meant what I thought before I said what I didn't mean, right? because you're listening to to Snap Judgment. We're going to get started with one man, James Vallejos, and his quest to keep a loved one close to his heart forever.
1: Anyway, I get on the stage and the line is, and now my dear, prepare for a magnificent surprise. And I delivered the line, and my pants fell off.
2: Well, my dad was a talker, and that was maybe the best thing you could do with him, is hang out and chat. Words just always came very easily to him, and he didn't need to stop and think so much. He would just lay it out. So my dad had this sort of funny vocabulary. You know, he might insult somebody by calling them a poltroon. You know, if the weather was warm, he'd say... It's hotter than a $4 fart. Of course, you'd think to yourself, what, what is a $4 fart? But some own context at work.
3: Like a lot of guys, James grew to love his dad's ridiculous jokes. But in April 2016, his cheesy one liners suddenly meant more, because that's when he got the diagnosis.
2: Stage four lung cancer. And I remember having the feeling of, he's dying. It's going to happen in a matter of months rather than in a matter of years. And we wanted to know his story. We wanted to remember it. So now is the time. We're going to record it. We're going to get as much detail as we can because this is the window. It's, It's closing. We had arranged the first session to be in the bedroom of my parents' house. He sat in sort of the comfy armchair, I sat in a wooden desk chair, and I've got my digital recorder, and I've got a pad, and my job was really just to sit
1: and listen. Fun. No, I enjoyed high school a lot. Hello vivo. Hello vivo, boom. Particularly the senior year. Boom, get a rat trap bigger than the cat trap. On 17th and January 4th. cannibal. Cannibal. Zis-boom-ba, 1953. Oakland High Varsity, Ra rah, rah. Hot dribbling spit. Mom's on the phone. I hope she's not uncomfortable. Can I ask you a question? You just did.
2: When I took all those recordings, I sent them out to be professionally transcribed. I was somewhat shocked to see that they came to a total of nearly 90,000 words.
3: That's around 300 or 400 pages, about as many words as to kill a mockingbird.
2: I I printed out the transcriptions and put them in a binder, thought, cool, we, we got that. And then I put it on a shelf.
3: And there it stayed, collecting dust on the shelf day after day in full view. One day he was working on an article about Hello Barbie, a doll that could talk. It was supposed to be the next big thing in interactive talking computers.
2: And so I shadowed their engineers for several months. So I had this whole experience of seeing how you make a talking AI that was gonna be this little brain for Barbie. So at any rate, that was all kind of in the back of my mind. Why couldn't I make a dad bot? Something that would tell his life story in an interactive conversational way rather than just being hundreds of pages in a binder to have him not be interactive seemed weird. Like it could have a lot of his jokes. It could have him singing songs. He seemed suited to that.
3: James wanted to make a dad bot, a sort of chatbot app of his dad. Dad bot wouldn't speak the same way Talking Barbie did, but you could write to it like you would in Facebook Messenger. And it would write back in his dad's own words, with his style and phrasing, just like his dad would.
2: The first thing the dadbot says, or one of the first things he can say to you when you fire him up, he says, "'Tis I, the beloved and noble father." And that like was a signature saying of my dad. He would even call himself BNF for short for beloved and noble father. I would have the binder with all my dad's words. And I'm just looking through there and pulling out sentences and phrases and building conversations out of them.
3: Getting DadBot to say a catchphrase is one thing, but DadBot had to be conversational.
2: I'm not going to have him deliver monologues in this chatbot. It's got to be some back and forth. So, Dad, uh, how are you
1: doing today? Not bad for my age of decrepitude.
2: Yeah, it was fun. It was, it was fun to dig my teeth into his humor, in particular, with all of his, his funny sayings. And if I do this right, it's going to sound like him. I spent a couple months on the first draft of the dad bot. I tested it on myself in the morning, and then that afternoon was so excited that I had somebody else test it. A computer science expert student at Cal Berkeley outside a coffee shop on Shattuck Avenue in downtown Berkeley. We were sitting outside at a little round table and we'd been talking all about this quest to teach computers to talk when I sort of was like, well, as it happens, I've been working on a little conversational AI myself and I pulled out my phone, would you, uh, would you like to try this? Um, and I handed it to him The dad bot, you know, did one of his standard opening lines. He said, hello, tis I, the beloved and noble father. And the student logically said, hello, father. And then the response that the dad bot gave was, John who? And the student, like, he kind of did that face where you pull your shin back and you make a weird half smile. And it absolutely fell on its face, like just... Just from jump. It was much less ready than I thought it was gonna be. I was had this weird mix of pride and protectiveness. Like that the, the bot had already started to become a someone to me, which is a little strange. Immediately afterward, I was driving home. I thought I've felt this feeling before, and it was a parenthood like feeling of you know, wanting my child to do well and feeling sort of both a little embarrassed for him that he didn't do well and also mad at the world for not being more gentle with my precious child. It was just complicated. My actual dad was dying and I could tell I was, I was just rabbit-holing on this project that it just wasn't clear that it was going to work it wasn't clear that anybody wanted it. It certainly had no, like, broader commercial application. The world didn't want it. So when it was day after day working on it, yeah, the, the, the question why started ringing in my head quite a bit. My wife had raised a lot of good questions. This is kind of weird, isn't it? Like you're creating this sort of, fake digital version of your dad and what's that going to be like for you? What's that going to be like for the family? You're already dealing with the fact that your dad who lives five minutes away from you is dying of cancer. So it might be nice when you're not dealing with that situation to escape now. There's no emotional escape for you. I went through a long period where I was trying to decide whether I should even do the dad bot at all. I had some reservations. Is it going to be creepy? Will it work?
3: But James locked himself away in his office for eight hours a day, coding and recoding. Around Thanksgiving, after months of programming.
2: I went up to their house, got things set up. with. So I had the laptop computer set up at the dining room table. This was going to be the first time that my mom and dad saw it.
3: James opened DadBot on Facebook Messenger, and then he went to the living room to get his dad. He pushed his wheelchair into the dining room and then hoisted him up in the chair next to his mom.
2: And there was so much going on with his health and everything that um, it felt all so hard.
3: He wasn't so concerned with DadBot's technical performance. He was worried about his parents' emotional reactions.
2: I was hoping, I think even more than whether, like, failed or not, or had dead ends, or bugs, or anything. And you know, the moment where they would either like it in some way, or maybe say, whoa, creepy, like, what is this? You, know, you chat with the dad bot on Facebook Messenger, so you're sending text messages back and forth, but he has audio clips that play as well. And I remember my mom first turned to me, and she said, I can say anything? She turned and she typed, this is Martha, your dear wife. And the dad bot responded, My darling wife. And she choked up immediately when the bot said that to her.
3: His mom was completely absorbed with dad bot. But out of the corner of his eye, he could see his dad was confused. Who was saying what? Who was dad and who was dad bot? And he got upset.
2: He had a little bit of like an identity disturbance. He's had some loss of function, and um, this is a mind <laughs> Like what am I doing to him? Like having this version of him that's saying his words and he's having a hard time keeping track of who he is. That, that was unsettling for me, and it did make me worry a little bit. But really a lot of it was uplifting. They both said, amazing. They're like, oh, okay, we like it. That passed that test at least. I mean that was one of the first times that I started to feel a little more secure in like okay, I think I think this is a good thing that that I've done.
3: 2 months later, they called in hospice.
2: I went and sat by my dad's bedside and it was it was very hard. I mean, he he was such a verbal person. But he, he really had just about entirely lost the ability to speak. So that was crushing because that was always so much part of him. It, it was so devastating to not hear him talk at the very end of his life. And, you know, I sat and I held his hand and I stroked his shoulder. And I just kind of blabbed a bit because I felt like somebody should be talking. And, you know, I was just exhausted. I was really exhausted. I went upstairs, went into my sister's old bedroom, which was the bedroom directly above the room where my dad was, got myself ready for bed, took my phone out of my jeans and put it on the carpet beside the bed. And I'm not normally a take-the-phone-to-bed sort of person, but it was... It was there, and I picked it up. I decided to, to chat with the dad bot. A file comes up, and it's one of the times when I could hear his actual voice, and he sang.
1: Me and my shadow, all along, the, nothing to do. Me and my shadow, 12 o'clock, do And when I climb the stair at 12 o'clock,
2: there's nothing... Kind of made the hair stand up on the back of my neck because, yeah, it was it was one of those moments where I, like I kind of cracked a smile and started crying at the same time. And then I went to bed that night, and about six in the morning, and I just heard kind of a steady rap, rap, rap on the door. Got out of bed, opened the door, and the nurse was there, and. He said, you must come, your father has just passed. So went down the stairs, went into the room. I was all alone. You know, he was just lying there. I touched him right away and he was he was quite warm. And I remember wanting to keep touching him. But he was so still. Yeah, so I sat there with him. (laughs) Hello, are you there? Hello, John James Vlahos Esquire here. What's your name? This is your son. I thought I smelled something funny. Well, how the hell are you? People have asked, you know, with this dad bot, are you just, are you prolonging the grieving process and you're not going to accept your father's death? And I've decided that's a problematic question for me. Like, if, 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 if the, the grieving is sort of like, don't think about your dad so much and don't have all these details of his life in your mind, why would I want to do that? I am feeling stressed out today. I hope that whatever is worrying you will resolve itself soon. Shall we begin? I'm gonna keep making the dad bot better and better. It's just, it's wonderful to hear my dad's voice, to hear him sing, to hear him talk. Let's do this. How did you meet mom, question mark?
1: <clears throat> At a rehearsal, an afternoon rehearsal, in the morning I'd been playing tennis and was wearing tennis whites. In those days you wore white shorts and white shirts. I came bounding down the stairs of the theater toward the stage saying, Tennis anyone? And mom thought I was the biggest jerk in the world. So then we started talking about.
0: Thank you, James, for sharing your story. James is working on his book, Talk to Me. It's about the quest for conversation-making AIs. Keep on the lookout for that. The original score was composed and performed by Renzo Gorio. The story was produced by Jasmine Aguilera. Now then, in just a moment, what if you have to go and the man's keeping you down? Plus... The worst boyfriend ever. From the Snap Judgment tongue tied episode continues. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Snap Judgment, the tongue tied episode. Now, you know those people, those magical people that always know the right thing to say? We're not speaking to any of those folk today. Instead, when Greg Stone was younger, he was always a good boyfriend. Or at least, he tried to be. Now, please be advised, the names in this story have been changed for reasons that will soon become apparent.
4: So I just started dating Wendy, and uh, she was super cool. We met on a bus, we were on a class trip, and then this girl walks on, she had like a punk rock t-shirt on, uh, she sat down, and immediately just started smiling, We clicked, like, insanely quick. Yeah, I mean, we had this amazing relationship, you know, at first. It was great. Like, we, you know, we had this uh, little, at first it was a little issue about religion. She was born again Christian, and I was agnostic. Now, I don't have any issues with religion. Um, But her friends, for some reason, her friends hated me for it. And then 9-11 happened, and it was a rough day, because where I'm from in New Jersey was just 20 minutes outside of the city. We all had friends or family that were either there or related to someone directly there. Um, And I knew her dad worked in the World Trade Center. So I remember just calling her, and her dad was right because he didn't go in that day. So later that night, I went to my girlfriend's house for dinner, and You know, it was pretty intense. I mean, we were all pretty raw. You know, everyone was solemn. But also, you know, like we were happy that her dad wasn't there. I just remember her dad standing at the table and us sitting there and him looking at everyone and just going, let's hold hands and thank Jesus. And her father says, "Uh, I was supposed to be there. Jesus kept me out of the building. And everyone was happy to be like, oh yeah, he did. And I, I went, why would Jesus keep you out of the building? Why just you? And then he said, Well, because we're good Christians. Good Christians. And he got us out because we're good Christians. And I was like, So you don't think anybody else in there was either a good Christian or deserved being saved? That he just let all these other people die, but because you prayed a bunch of times. He saved you. All my questions, all the pain, everything from that day, all just starts firing at this poor guy. I wasn't trying to yell at him, but I literally... He's making 9-11 about him. And I'm pretty much yelling at him. I mean, no one is blinking. Their mouths are open. This is the boyfriend who's been extremely shy and courteous and sweet to them and never said a word. Like, I was the quiet, sweet guy. I was like, hello, mister. How are you? Hello, I love you. How's everyone doing? I love everybody. I was very sweet, wanted to impress, make everyone like me. And then we had this moment. Now I'm screaming at her family. And I'm like, oh, my God, what did I? She runs away, and I followed after her. And she was laying face down into a pillow, just devastated. And she gets her head up from the pillow and, you know, her makeup is running and her face is red. She looked at me and she just said, all my friends told me that the devil was going to test me. Now you're making me question this. This is the test they've been telling me about. And I was like, wait, are you saying I'm the devil? And she was like, not the devil, but you're a test from the devil. And she just shut down. She shut down, and I remember her just going, you know, I think you gotta go. I think you gotta go home. And then that was it. It was over. The breakup for me was it was rough. And then I started to look at myself like, am I the devil? I might be the devil. How do I know I'm not the devil? I mean, would the devil know he's the devil? I started to have a really bad taste in my mouth for religion. So I just threw it all away. I went from agnostic to atheist. took me about a year to really kind of get myself together. I'm just starting to really kind of date. And I met a girl in class. And we were going to go hang out. We get into my car. And we just started making out. And, uh, I just kind of stop her in the middle, thinking this is, like, a fun, like, oh, I'll make a fun joke. And, uh, I go, yeah, you're not, like, born-again Christian, are you? And, uh, she stops, just tears come out of her eyes, and she goes, oh, my God, it's always an issue. I'm like, no, 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 you don't understand, it, it's not an issue, I have no problem. Clearly it's not, a, I mean... Clearly, I have a thing for born again Christians. It's really—it's not you. You're, you're beautiful. You're great. I had never met any other born again Christians in my life. I didn't think I would meet another one again. If she wasn't born again Christian, she'd be like, oh, "No, of course I'm not." And I'm like, "Good," because I don't want you to think I'm the devil, and we would have laughed. So, a couple months later, I meet Laura at a bar. We were at a Hula Hands in New Jersey. She worked at the Hula Hands, and I worked at TGI Fridays, which was across the street and uh she was really attractive way out of my league but for some reason she was like i made her laugh i just kept making her laugh and you know i just i was just on point and this girl we're making out in the foyer of the hula hands it's for fun and then uh, we make back to my car and then we're making out in my car and she's like hot and heavy and she stops Making out and she looks at me and she goes let's just put it all out there what makes you crazy what is let's get it into know it now so we can just accept it and i was like yeah well sometimes i say dumb things and then i regret them immediately and she was like yeah yeah but like come on and i go yeah but what about you man you seem perfect what about you what's your craziness you know uh and in my head i'm just going do not say born again christian do not say born again christian so I just grabbed anything and I went, I don't know, you're not like bulimic or anything, are you? She stops. She pauses. She looks at me and she goes, "Only my grandmother knows." And she and she starts crying and I go, "Oh my god, not again." And I just am like, "Hey, listen, I didn't mean it. Like there's nothing. I literally just said anything." Mm. And she was like, please don't tell anybody. Uh, She never called me again. So about a year later, I'm dating this other girl. We had a really, you know, having a good time, having a laugh. And I'm telling her about my exes. You know, we're having that conversation at a bar. And I'm just telling her this story. This is a great story. It's a great story about how I constantly put my foot in my mouth. And I'm like, I'm always putting my foot in my mouth. And I called some girl Christian, and she was, and she hated it dated the girl she was bulimic and she was like wait what and I was like yeah this girl from hoolahan's you know blah 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 Laura and she was like wait I know Laura I know, I know, I
5: know.
4: and I was like what and she was like oh my god I kind of thought that but and as she's literally saying I kind of thought that but the door opens Laura walks into the bar I haven't seen her in a year. And she looks me right in the eyes, sees Sarah, sees us. Our faces are ghost white, makes a beeline right for us. We, I just go, hey. And she goes, you didn't tell her, did you? And I was like, I, I, and like the girl I was dating was like, I don't know. It's okay. We're cool. Like, she just put her finger to my face. She was like, you're a I told you that in confidence. And then she just stormed off. It was too perfect. It was like, it, being an atheist, I'm just saying to myself, man, if anything is going to make me believe in God, this is it.
0: Thanks so much to Greg Stone. Greg is a comedian living in New York. You can hear him on his own podcast, The Rad Dude Cast. We'll have a link and more information at snapjudgment.org. The original score was created and performed by Leon Morimoto. That story was produced by Liz Mack. When we return, please understand if you gotta go, you gotta go. When Snap Judgment continues, stay tuned. Snap Judgment's underground lair. Welcome back. My name is Glenn Washington, and Snap is... You have heard some of the most compelling, most involved, most heart-wrenching stories right here on Snap Judgment. But please note, this is not one of those. You might think you've had reason for alarm in your own past, but our next guest, actress and comedian, Diana Riedenover, she was headed toward an emergency.
5: Okay, so a few years back, I booked a series regular on this TV show. It was called Clip, and it was my first TV credit ever. When you and that meter maid are making love, <laughs> which one of you does the driving and which one of you does the parking? I was like, this is it. This is my big break. I'm going to be the next Carrie Washington. I was balling. So once the show wrapped up, I booked a fancy vacation to get away from it all. You know, get away from the fans. Side note. What fans. I did not have any fans. Right before the vacation, I dislocated my knee. It's no big deal. It happens all the time. But I ended up on crutches. So I go on this vacation. I just wanted to maintain a low profile at the time. And it was really great. And I was on my way back. So I get on the plane. It had two rows of seats and then one aisle. And nobody looks happy. Everybody looks like a grumpy version of Michael Fassbender. And as soon as my butt hits that seat, I know I gotta go to the bathroom. I'm one of those people with a small bladder. Just damn. <laughs> I'm sitting there and I'm waiting for us to get to cruising altitude so that the pilot turns off the keep your seatbelts on sign. And so 20 minutes came and went and then 25 minutes and it's just not happening. We're just circling in the cloud layer. We're circling. And then finally, finally, 30 minutes in, Uh, ladies and gentlemen, we've uh, reached cruising altitude. And I say, okay, this is my moment. And I go and I unbuckle my seatbelt, but by the time I finally managed to fumble it open, bam, somebody's already ahead of me. And I stood up, and the flight attendant is like, ma'am, you're not allowed to stand up. Ma'am, you have to sit down and wait. So I was like, all right, cool, I'm I'm not trying to cause any trouble today. So I sat down. Because of this knee injury, I just kept getting beat to the bathroom. I mean, I would be on the edge of my seat just waiting for that door to crack open and as soon as I saw the light from the bathroom I'd be you know fumbling and try to get my crutches and by the time I'd managed to do all that bam somebody else would be in the bathroom and I just kept getting beat just over and over again stand up unbuckle grab your crutches got beat stand up unbuckle grab your crutches got beat finally finally Uh, I looked around, I realized the bathroom was clear, and I stood up and I grabbed my crutches and I started making my way down the aisle so I can get a little bit of relief. And as soon as I'm halfway to my destination of the bathroom. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, we have started our descent. So go ahead and put your seats back and your tray tables up. I was like,
3: man, I got to go to the bathroom. I'm
5: not going to make it. And this time, she didn't even have to tell me to sit down. She just gave me that look that, you about to get in trouble. And so I sat my butt right back down in that seat. And I said, hey, listen, I just got to go to the bathroom real quick. Can you let me go? I've been trying to go uh, off-flight. And I kind of, like, took my crutches and I kind of, you know, showed them a little bit, kind of shimmied with them. She was like, no. And I was so stunned. And we, I said, you know what? It only takes 20 minutes to descend. You can make it. So we start descending, and once again, we're just not descending. It's, you know, 15 minutes go past, 20 minutes go past. I mean, I have been holding it for a long time. So I just said, I'm going to have to go to the bathroom. So I stood up, and the flight attendant said, Ma'am, I told you once, you have to sit down. This flight attendant just looked mean. Like, she was just mean-mugging me from jump, you know what I mean? So I sat down. And I stood up one more time and I said, I'm sorry, I really have to go. And that's when people kind of started to notice that I wasn't paying attention to what she said. People started whispering and I could see somebody like pull out their phone and start recording me. And I could not have this. I could not get in trouble right now. Don't these people know who I am? I am a series regular on the third highest rated show on TBS.
3: You did a nice thing for me yesterday.
5: Well, I'm actually a nice person. Mm. (laughs) Are you agreeing with me or disagreeing? Mm. Listen, I was right at the top of my career. I was just about to break it big and become a household name. I really could not afford to have my face splashed all over the front page of World Star Hip Hop. So I'm sitting there and I'm like about to explode. And I was just like... Okay, just run yourself through the worst-case scenario. Okay, worst-case scenario is I stand up, I ignore what that lady says, I take this crutch and I smack her upside the head so that I can get to the bathroom, but probably before I make it that far, an air marshal will tackle me and have me on the ground and have both my knees messed up. Okay, or how about this? What if I stand up and I just stand in the middle of the aisle and I say, like, this is for freedom! and I pee right then and there, you know, stick it to the man. But then if I do that, I'll definitely end up all over the Internet, and I'll never work again. Um, And then I thought about there was one more option, which is I've had to pee in small places before. My dad used to take me fishing all the time, and I would pee in the back of the van in, in an old hubcap. And I was thinking to myself, Diana. There is one of two ways you can pee, because you're going to pee. You can either pee standing up while an air marshal handcuffs you, or you can pull out your Contigo travel mug, and you can pee directly into that cup with as much dignity as peeing in public will allow you. So I said to my girlfriend, I said, can you hand me my travel mug? And she did, and she started to ask me a question. She started to say, what's going And I just shook my head, and I put my one finger up to my lips, and I was like, don't. And I took my sweater and I slipped it over my lap.
3: And I was wearing,
5: like, um, kind of baggy, like, um, loose jogger pants. And I stuck the cup as far up close to my body as I could. I really wanted to pull down my pants, but I was like, okay, somebody's definitely going to notice that. And I peed as hard as I could, so as much of it as possible went into the cup. It's It felt so good. I I felt like I had just shed 15 pounds. And as soon as I was done peeing and I felt that burning shame, but also that sweet release, I took the sweater and I lifted my butt up and I shoved the sweater underneath me and I screwed the top on the travel mug and I hung my head in shame. I was in row like 12 a or something and i turned and wait back right back in row 13c there was this old lady with like tight tight curls on her head who was giving me major side eye like she was looking at me so far out of the side of her head she looked like a fish i did you know use the sweater to protect the seat and i used some hand sanitizer because it was a leather seat and some kleenex to clean it before i left the plane So once we got off the plane, I was really so embarrassed. I was just trying to be discreet. I didn't want anybody to notice me. My pants were still wet because I didn't have any spare pants on my carry-on. Who brings spare pants on their carry-on? So I took my sweater and I tied it around my waist. I was sure that I smelled like pee. I... In fact, I was absolutely positive that I was going to slip on my crutches on my own pee and, like, bite it in front of everybody. And as I'm going through the airport, I was on one of those, like, moving walkways when all of a sudden it happened. This guy, like, turns around and he looks and he says, he yells, Hey, ain't you Charmaine? From Clipped, she's on TV, y'all. <laughs> no one had ever recognized me before, and all of a sudden, the crowds parted like what you hear about in movies. Everybody turned and started rubbernecking my way. One guy just like took a selfie with me as he was walking alongside the escalator. There was nowhere to hide. I was just being paraded through this line of people. People started snapping pictures. I was so shocked. I almost forgot about the pee for like half a second because I couldn't believe that all these people were taking pictures with me. Back my pants all wet and stuff. I finally got my moment. So darn exciting, don't you think? Yeah, I just might wet myself.
0: big thanks to Deanna Reasonover. Deanna is an actress and comedian living in L.A. That original score was created and performed by Renzo Gorio. The story was produced by Adiza Egan. Look here, I know how you feel. Itchy, scratchy, wondering if the fever's going to break because you miss even a moment of snap goodness. You have a disease. But not to worry, the good doctor has an antidote. Subscribe to the Snap Judgment podcast right now on Spotify, on TuneIn, on Stitcher, on iTunes, Radio Public. We serve it your way. Snapjudgment.org. I'll give it up for the team that never met a person they can't offend. That goes double for the Uber producer, Mark Ristich. How Miller can't handle the truth? Anna Sussman carries a big stick around Joe in your face Rosenberg the slow talker Renzo Gorio Leon the laugher Morimoto Shayna Shealy has strong opinions Adiza Egan has a plan Liz Mack has a counter plan you can't fool Eliza Smith tail unbuttered toast to cot some episodes of The Simpsons make Jasmine Aguilera cry real tears it's hilarious And even though this is not the news, no way is this the news. In fact, you could huff, and you could puff, friend. You could even blow the house down, but you would still not be as far away from the news as this is. But this is PRX.